Rachel Daly is a striker. The end. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. She's got great passing range. She scores goals. She's great in the air. Brilliant in the air. Yeah. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Hello. This is another Off The Ball podcast. Joe Malloy here. We are giving you a little taster of Golf Weekly. So Golf Weekly is our golf podcast. Does exactly what it says in the tin. It has been around for about 12 years at this stage in various guises. It currently resides on Patreon.com. That is where you'll find us. Or you can go to the Off The Ball website and search for Golf Weekly and you'll find us there as well. But Patreon.com, search for Golf Weekly. Uh, these days, it is myself. It is Nathan Murphy. It is Fionn Davenport, broadcaster, golf lover, and Peter Laurie, European Tour winner, truth teller as well. Turns out Peter is a man who can't but tell the truth. His fellow golfers have stopped replying to his text messages or being his friend, but he is great on the podcast as a result. So um, we went behind the paywall about a year ago and uh, were thrilled with the response and so many of you came with us. So in the main, that is where you'll find us at three ninety nine a month for a podcast every week and we do watch-alongs around majors and various other things. We just thought we would give those of you who haven't yet come aboard a taster of some of what we do. So this week uh, we were joined by Mr. Podrick Harrington. He is a good friend of the pod. He has had an outstanding year on the Champions Tour, as I'm sure you know. He's won a bunch of tournaments. He finished second on the Order of Merit. And, of course, he was the US Open champion as well. So we decided to reflect on his season with him. So uh, sit back, enjoy. Come and join us if you're uh, so inclined. Here's a little taster of our most recent episode of Golf Weekly. Now then, you're welcome along. Golf Weekly, we are coming at you. Fionn, my apologies. I'm late. It's fine. Peter and I, we were just catching up as we waited. It's okay. (sighs) I, I reckon Joe would get if he was a professional golfer he would be either two shot penalty every week or he would actually on a Thursday Ivor Robson would have told him Joe forget it just I'm well generally I, 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 Fionn has learned not to panic as he walks towards yeah. the first tee and I'm still not there because I will arrive right on cue no I'm done we were playing on Saturday and we were out at whatever it was 10am and at 9.59 there was still no sign of him and at 9.59 and 45 seconds there he was coming down the path arrives on the first tee literally like with a second to go hey lads I'm ready strolling strolling can I say though I'll let the listeners in on this one of the most embarrassing shameful moments of my life was when Fionn and I were playing in a two ball this must have been uh, numerous years ago Fionn and I am from a family of uh, late arrivers unfortunately it's uh, a disease of my childhood my father we were just always late we would be turning up for the football matches and like you know the whole team would know oh the Malloys aren't here no panic they're just going to be 10 minutes late before we could all head off in the cars to the away match you know so this is just a thing that's in me and I have to fight it very hard. And I was late for a two-ball with Fionn. Like, badly late. I can't remember what had happened. There was something particularly, um, you know... Uh, More interesting than what so, you were no, doing. <laughs> I was going to say, like, substantive. It wasn't just time got away from me. Something had come up. But I probably hadn't given myself enough time anyway. And honestly, uh, Fionn went off at me. And it was a proper, proper dressing down and made very valid points about my time not being more valuable than his time and it carried through 
for much of the first hole, understandably, fairly, to the point that I was so ashamed that I think it was in the fourth or fifth or sixth around Enfield, so about an hour into it, you did turn to me and say, look, we're still friends. You're, you, you can talk like we're over it, but, you know, just... Oh, now yeah. I feel bad about it. No, it was... It was, it was one of the, do you know what, Fionn? I, I, to this day, I am now... Uh, friends, family have noticed, I am now such a better uh, timekeeper as a result I, 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 I've never been late like that again in my life because it was just like it was a real before and after moment for me God we've gone deep here and it's funny because I come from the opposite family like my mother is like an incredible timekeeper so from early childhood being on time or just slightly early was always like really really important but I'm my wife my wife is late for everything like everything all the time and Oddly enough, hearing you tell the story of me going off, I've had to learn over the years that tardiness, though irritating to people who who are more <laughs> kind of, you know, have keep good time, is really so low in the list of sins of the human character <laughs> that like my wife, some a very placid person, but she looks at me and she goes, relax, it'll be fine. No, but I, I think having now become someone who tends to turn up early yeah. for things, I, I do understand the resentment of just waiting for someone. Oh, and there is, there is an implicit assumption that their time is more valuable than yours. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's all it is. It's habit. Yeah. Break the habit hand. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's funny. I always remember Alex Ferguson giving a piece of advice in his book, in his first autobiography. It was a weird piece of advice in this 600 page bonanza. And one of the big pieces of advice he gave people was to turn up early for things. And he said, mm. said, you never know who you meet when you're there early. The conversations that I've had across my career from being early have led to us signing different players or learning something which helped me. And I didn't give much thought at the time. But since then, it is amazing when you turn up early and you get chatting to people at different events or you get a, a steer on things. It's actually a, a really solid you wouldn't suspect so but a really solid piece of advice it's another our, bonus our, our guest today yeah. is a bit like yourself Joe okay oh really oh yeah all right Fair. I should t I should show that Ferguson bit of advice to my wife who as I said is is late all the time but uh, a couple of weeks ago she so she works about a 25 minute drive from where we live and you're always negotiating traffic. So she, she gave herself good time. Oh, because that's the one exception to her rule about always being late. She's never late for work, ever. And uh, she she thought there'd be a load more traffic. So she ended up like 40 minutes early and she rang me from the car park of the school where she teaches, angry at having arrived early. Now I've got to sit here, like as if, like the, as if the universe had really offended her in some deep and profound way. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes being the thought of having to just wait around is what makes me late. I, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. anyway, anyway, there we go. Where are we? We're talking golf. So lots going on. We did want to have a little bit of a preamble before uh, certain somebody joins us on the podcast today. Uh, quick mention, Tom Watson, get well soon. Tom Watson went go-karting, as you do. Mm. He went go-karting on his Kansas farm. 73 years of age now, Tom, eight-time major winner. Hospitalized and needed shoulder replacement surgery because he crashed his go-kart. Jeez. Careful out there, people. There's Tom Watson for you. Uh, that's not the biggest news, obviously, of the week in golf. Rory McIlroy... Um, Order of Merit winner. So John Ram won the tournament in Dubai, 20 under par. Rory finished fourth on 16 under. Uh, 65 in the third round was his best of the week. 71 on day one. 
was his worst. It meant he kept um, Matt Fitzpatrick amongst the other contenders at arm's length. Fitzpatrick finished 13 under to McElroy 16 under. So I think this is um, easy to just speed by, but really there are different testaments to greatness and majors in golf are absolutely one metric, but I think uh, disproportionately so. I think they have taken on too much importance in many ways. Four weeks defining your year is not right. Uh, for McIlroy, I mean, this is absolutely exceptional. It's the first time he's won both in the same year. He has four of each at this stage. Henrik Stenson, the only other man to win both in the same year. He did that in 2013. So now R- Rory has done that. So it's his first Harry Varden trophy since 2015. Where this puts him is Monty has eight, which is ridiculous. And McIlroy said it'll be very hard to catch Monty. Monty has eight, Seve has six. Rory now goes into outright third in the history of European players with four. So he was previously on three alongside Lee Westwood, Sandy Lyle and Peter Oosterhaus. Uh, Faldo, weirdly, has only won it twice. Mm. I think he's won a few more in 1983 and 1992. But um, what McElroy said was, it's increasingly more difficult to win both season-long races. That's why I'm even more proud to do so this year. I've played some really consistent golf. This is, I mean, really an exceptional achievement. And it has garnered no attention in the quote-unquote mainstream media because it's not a major. But really, it warrants... uh, a real salute, I think, for you. Mm. Yeah, and and last week we were talking about like, oh, you know, Rory, if he wins the Order of Merit, what? How do we rate his season? So, you're absolutely right. This is an amazing achievement. However, it's akin, in my mind, to let's say, for example, you're a Premier League team and you win the FA Cup and the League Cup, and you're in the Champions League, but you get bounced out of the group stages, but you go on to win the Europa League. So you have three trophies. That's, you know, you've shown consistency in cup competitions. Um, but yet you've missed out on the league. You haven't won the league. And you missed out in the Champions League. So is it a disappointing season? Yeah, in one way. Is it a really rewarding and good season? Yeah, so it's kind of both. <laughs> Could I posit the suggestion that the Order of Merit is the league and that the majors are the Champions yeah, No, sorry. Sorry, you're absolutely right in the sense of because one kind of rewards your, your efforts over the course of a long season. You're absolutely right. But I mean in terms of of value in in and how we we determine where it sits. The league is way more important than the FA Cup in the way that a major, I don't care what anyone says, a ma- winning majors is more important than winning the FedEx in every way except for financial. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and, and look, the fact is, is that whether the majors have an undue importance or, or an over-importance, the simple fact remains is the greatest players in the game have always judged their success by how many majors they won. Like Tiger Woods doesn't judge his success by how many weeks he was number one. He doesn't judge his success by how many FedEx trophies he won, even though for the sake of our FedEx Cup kind of came at the, Tiger was already kind of past his super, super peak. But um it's judged by majors and you know he didn't win a major this year but that aside he has shown this phenomenal consistency across two tours one particularly and has had a remarkable year but I still think a player of his caliber would be disappointed that he didn't feature or you know what happened at the open will will definitely be a big big stain on his year for for him not maybe for us fans but for him it's testament almost how well he's played Peter that there were no surprises here that Rory got this done. 
there was nothing sure then he was going to hold off yeah. the pack. Uh, well, so what would you say about what the, the points Finn and I just made? The biggest surprise that I would have said is that you could win both without winning a major. Um, For, because, further testament to his consistency. Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, you know, when you win a major like that, because the majors are ranked so highly, you're nearly guaranteed to be first, second, third in the in the order of merits, mm. which he, you know, didn't win a major, but was had the ability to win both order of merits. He also never won on the TP World Tour and was able to win the order of merit also. So it just... Like, we can all say, you know, your career or your year is defined by how many majors you win. But I think when Rory packed up his bag in Dubai and headed for his jet, headed back to Florida, he would say to himself, you know what, I've done well this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Never mind how much money I've made. Never mind, you know, it's the way I've played. It's the how I've held myself, how I've you know um, been the kind of the the alpha male now on the on the PGA tour, and also you know being able to win two order merits. I'd have to think he's not really thinking about the majors right now at the moment. He's, in my opinion, he he has to be very happy. Yeah, but I mean, go back, Joe. When you when you were telling us the the story about Tom Watson getting injured what identifier should you use I know eight time major winner I know. Tom Watson yeah but don't they have such a disproportionate uh, level of um, importance in the world of golf same with tennis you know yeah how many ATP how many ATP tour events does it really matter in the end no. like like and, and, and someone like Serena Williams like almost became the 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 embodiment of how insignificant the ATP tour was yeah. to someone like of her stature. I guess it matters if you do something astronomical. So yeah. Woods on 82 and, and bidding for 83, that is a colossal achievement. Rory's not going to be in that ballpark. He's going to end up with maybe 30 to 35, I would guess, which is still fantastic. That's we amazing. have 40s, 50s, nearly. Like, Phil's is amazing. But it probably should get... Uh, more recognition I would say you know um, like in some ways Peter is Woods' 82 into 83 PGA Tour wins worldwide wins is that better than his 14 majors like a better achievement no not at all okay no but I, I, I think when Woods sits down and, and, and after every year and looks at his year is it defined by how many majors has he won how many tournaments he's won or how he is actually playing personally how he feels like he's playing so I think I think Rory can go into 2023 with very much um, strong confidence going into the first major of the year mm. sure and lots of hype to boot uh, and lots of pressure yeah well look I think extraordinary achievement I mean when this guy goes we're really going to realise what we had in our hands majors or no majors but, but Joe people give out to us right that in previous years or, or, or maybe months that we've we've kind of got on Rory's back and and said you know he could do better he could do better we this, were right then Peter pardon we were absolutely correct then he 100% wasting 
peak years for too many years. It, this year, as soon as it turned, we spotted it early and we were supporting them. Yeah, 100%. So you, you can say that, you know, we looked at it uh, as somebody that we knew he could be this person. We knew he had the game to do it, Yeah, you know? And uh, for all the naysayers out there, we've, be, we've been proved right. Completely. There was a time there where I didn't want Rory to come on the podcast because it would have resulted, if we were going to do our jobs properly, in a very difficult conversation about the state of his game. Whereas now... You'd welcome him with open arms and just congratulate him on, as you said, he's become the player that we thought he could be. Yeah, I, I, I'd also like to ask him questions about that time. You know, I, I would still like to go back and say, look, Rory, you know what I mean? People were banging on about it and, you know, you had to take a bit of flack and, and you didn't like it. But, you know, it proved to be true now. And also, what were you thinking when you embarked on this copy Bryson DeChambeau plan for instance there, like there were some bad decisions made I, I was only thinking about that with um, Pete Cowan when he went to try and fade every shot try and cover it and fade every shot you don't see that fade now into his game now mm. do you? not as much although he can hit a beautiful fade if he needs to but it's not his default no it's not even close to it and then now look at you know what we said about Bryson DeChambeau the same thing he's come out and said what I did to my body was wrong what you know <laughs> it was unhealthy it was this it was that honest to god I, I read that and I'm like duh <laughs> like what kind of the, Bryson the scientist what I did is I, I I lived for a year and a half on a on a diet of burgers and high intensity fats and wow guess what didn't turned out to be not that good for me <laughs> you're like <laughs> I had missed this admission this is recent yeah he's, he was on the five clubs podcast so he said that um, he's gotten rid of all that bulking up like he's lost 20 pounds in a month he's he's basically gotten rid of it all but what i thought was hilarious he said i ate in property for almost a year and a half and i'm starting to feel weird where are you bryson um uh, my gut was all messed up and so i went completely healthy went on a whole 30 diet got a nutritionist did blood work measured stuff in my gut biome i was super inflamed and you're like we, like, we don't know him. We've never met him. And we could tell that from thousands of miles away. The worst part of all this now is we're in for two to three years of Bryson yapping on about healthy eating nonstop. Ugh. He's going to be worse than Gary Player for the next couple of years. Yeah, so he's now, well, he's, he, he's, uh, and, <laughs> and then I like this line. And then just recently, since I've been using this new chef, I lost 20 pounds in a month. I... Like you know, to, it, it was a great measure of success having your own chef. Even when he bulked up, it was obvious that he had gone too quickly and hadn't done yeah. so in a healthy he's manner. Because he still had a good on him. His body fat percentage was too high. Yeah, he he bulked up. So anyway, so he's lost all that weight or lost a ch- well, he gained what is it, fifty pounds? So whatever that is in stone, and uh, so he's lost twenty of it so far, and he's on his way to slimming right down. Look, and wanna, I'm assuming wanna... that'll impact on he won't be looking for three hundred and seventy-five yard well, drives. I still, I actually think he'll be just as fast. Mm. I really do. And remember what uh, certain guest who's coming up told us a while ago that he was on the range with him at uh, Port Rush before he'd bulked up and he's, he had the speed. That in some respects, the bulking up of the body was to almost protect the body from his own speed. He had that speed. It was there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. So, look, if you want to win tournaments, drink lots of Coca-Cola, take it easy, chill out. Chill out, yeah. A few sweets Just... on the bed with McGrain, you'd be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know? <laughs> of images of you and McGrain putting sweets into each other's mouth here, Peter. Oh, this geez. is kind of what I'm seeing. Stop, stop, stop. Um, so, Kamir, 
Uh, word has come through, by the way. Uh, so Mr. Harrington is a few minutes late. <laughs> well played, Pierre. You've, you've pitched that perfectly. It yeah. gives us a moment to touch on the official PIP revelations. So Rory McIlroy, as we know, broke the embargo in a bid to win next year's PIP. And it's now been confirmed officially. Tiger Woods has won the Player Impact Programme. So Woods gets $15 million dollars. Yep. And we got a good breakdown, for instance, of where he finished here in the different criteria. So he's only played nine rounds of golf this year. Admittedly, yep. every second of them was shown on television. But still, he finished in the Nielsen brand TV exposure ratings 41st. And that's having shown every second of his round. But he just played so little golf. Of course, he was 41st. The other four categories are Google, mentions in media, awareness amongst the general public, social media engagement slash reach mm. and clearly he has blitzed the field on those fronts so Tiger gets 15 million Rory second Spieth third Justin Thomas fourth Ram is there fifth Scotty Scheffler is sixth Xander Schauffele seventh Matt Fitzpatrick eighth on we go Kevin Kisner is the 13th most exciting golfer on the PGA Tour yeah. More IP golf. Kevin. More, more, more exciting than Max Homa. I, I actually, bring in our guest there and ask him about it. I'd love to hear his opinion about it. Well, we will. Once he arrives. Peter, by all means, you jump in and put that to him. But um, in, a way, it's the, in a way, it is the most damning damnation of the PGA but, Tour, that list. Yeah, but I mean, but Joe, yeah, but like there's still no transparency on what these numbers actually mean. You know, I know that they're using Google, Meltwater, Nielsen, Q-Score, MVP index, but like, you're looking at a number and you go, what does it mean? Mm. Like, how's Matt Fitzpatrick? How's Matt Fitzpatrick? Eighth. How does he move the needle? I guess US Open garnered a lot of attention, UK media. But yeah, I take the point. I mean, I... I More than Tony Fino? He plays a lot of tournaments unless he's had a lot of uh, Nielsen exposure. Though Fino plays a huge amount of tournaments. Look, I don't know. How exciting is Tony Fino away from winning but how is sex no but it, this isn't about away from anything this is surely this is anyway it's, we, it's, we'll, we'll talk about it it's I, google I, I, it's a general awareness in the public like the whole yeah. of the uk uh, would have a massive awareness of but do you not think pleasure. as peter and i were kind of alluding to before you came on that um all right i get i was late Fionn. let's not late. no 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 this all of these metrics these are all made up numbers they're, they're not actually real that when you look at the list of players here these are the players at the PGA Tour are they're going to drive the cart next year and a plus to which you could also add don't forget Matsuyama Cameron Young and Sam Burns who even though didn't make the top 20 still yes, got money yes, yes. we're going to pause there is a certain major winner in the waiting room back in one second now we know the big complaint from listeners out there not enough majors on the podcast week <laughs> to week Peter Lowry brings nothing nothing to the party on that front so we've brought in Podrick Harrington. Podrick, thanks for saving us from ourselves. Hello. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to be here for the majors, but Peter does bring, bring that hard honesty. At least that's what he did when we were out on tour. I would say, yeah, there's just, you just got a little straight at times when you didn't want it. <laughs> well, he's still doing that, I can tell you. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Peter, we had a text message from Podrick to arrange the interview. Can I just read out what he said? Absolutely. Uh, he said, hi, lads. Did you see Larry pocketed the easiest three million of his life on the player impact program? The Harrington media tour starts now. I have lots of hot <laughs> takes. When am I coming on? 
I didn't text it, but you know, I know you've made that up, but maybe I was thinking that. I did go inquire how I did if I'm I don't even know if I'm included in the pip because obviously I'm on the champions tour. Uh, so I did go and make make the inquiry to see what my numbers are like. Uh, and it's not like you know, twenty players like Shane actually has a good chance of being in the top ten. It's it's twenty players, and there was a couple of names. You're going, wow, how you know? And, and to be honest, they, they, not that we want to bring up this word because I know it leads to something else. But you know, those players at the end of the top twenty, they've really gained from Live because there'd be six or seven guys from Live who would be in that top twenty. Well, listen, I mean, you you don't name names because you'll get in trouble. But we were saying on the show last night, honestly, if Kevin Kisner walked into our studio in his golf gear and a bag that said Kisner, I don't think half the team would know who he is. Yeah, Kevin's an interesting guy. So he is a, he is a good, strong personality. He says things that he can be quite abrupt, what he says, and he's out there. And he's American. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a bigger market, you, you know. He's a US player playing in the US, so he's got to get that more, much more coverage. So I, I, I saw his name in there and I was okay, but I'm not that surprised, I suppose. He was well up too. It wasn't even like he was 19th or 20th. 13th. Yeah. 13th. Yeah. But yeah. It, in reality, though, is, is the PIP, is it any use? Like, you know, is it fit for purpose? Or could they yeah. use the 40 odd million for something else? 100 million. 100 million. Could they use the 100? Uh, Else. Well, no, no it's it, look, let's call it what it is. They, they've got to, it's a sponsorship. It's a sponsorship of those top 20 players. It's, it's, it's kind of equivalent to, you know, the numbers are getting on to like the mega sponsorship, the, the, the mega club manufacturer sponsorship that somebody might have got a few years ago. Three million, five million is, is big numbers. And the tour are essentially sponsoring those players to be on the tour and, 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 incentivize them to create a little for some of them uh, some of them have to do do some work to get to that level and uh, so it's it, it's the way of the world there's got to be a little bit of a you know i know we're all talking about prize money but everybody playing the pga tour would have turned up for eight million in prize money you know pretty much so so it's not like putting up the prize money is going to change who's going to play necessarily it might stop a few players uh maybe crossing over to live but things like the pip are, are definitely an incentive hey, we're doing well here, we might as well. Why rock the boat and move somewhere else? It's also, and, and this year, I mean, you, like you mentioned, we mentioned live at our peril, but like the truth is, is that the PGA Tour has changed its formatting. So these players plus three others in Matsuyama, Cameron Young, Sam Burns, they're going to be playing the elevated events next year. And so that's split in terms of like, what's an ordinary event, what's an elevated event. These are the guys that have, committed to doing that so it's like not quite a two-tier tour but but definitely there is a divide now in the pga tour going forward and these are the guys that have made the the shortlist yeah look it's it's like this that statement that the players who went to live they says we don't want to play so much okay they all came out and said we don't want to play so much and then bar one or two of them maybe dj the rest started playing extra tournaments and you're going well you said you didn't want to play so much well <laughs> The actual statement, what they really wanted to say was, we don't want everybody else to play so much. Because if you take a good player on the PGA Tour, he can't be an average player on the PGA Tour if that average player plays 30 events. 
And the average player can't play the beat the weakest player if the weakest player is playing 35 events. So because the PGA Tour stretched the season into into those uh, into autumn, it meant everybody had to play two, three more events to keep their position in the rankings. So everybody was under pressure. I've got to get a couple of events in. So when I when I used to play the PGA Tour, I'd start at the end of March or end of February, start of March at the AT&T. And I'd play 15 events at most. I probably wouldn't even play 15 into the Tour Championship. I'd make Tour Championship. Now, if I start at the end of February, half the season's over. How do I feel? If, I don't, if you don't play quite a few events, some in the fall season and at the start of the year, you're so far behind. And this is why Tommy Fleetwood lost his card two years ago. This is why Shane didn't make Tour Championship last year. Shane, he's only playing, you know, Tommy and Shane, they're only playing like, in the teens, I know Shane might have got up. I think he might have got up to 19 events, but you know, other years it's 16, 17 events. You can't be good players, and they're all good players in the PGA Tour if they're playing 28 events, 29 events. And a European, especially European, but the, Amer- the US players were finding this too. Like you throw in Shane wants to play the Irish Open, he wants to play Wentworth, and, and you know, he wants to play the Middle East. So every event he plays in Europe is a chance and maybe one or two weeks that he can't play in the States. And it just, the size, the amount of tournaments is really killing the, all the players at all levels. Whereas having a, like I would advocate they should have 20 events, these elevated events for the FedEx Cup, and they should have 44 events to keep your card. So the good players who feel they can compete in 20 events, they might play 17 or 18 of them and they're only playing against guys who are playing 20. So it's not a huge burden. Whereas, you know, even DJ, you guarantee DJ up a couple of the tournaments, played a couple of fall season events because he's under pressure to keep his FedEx Cup ranking where it should be. So elevated events could be the best thing going forward. Right. Could be, but I do see like sponsors are obviously who don't get an elevated event are obviously not happy. Everybody wanted it. Uh, it was a very good deal for the sponsors. They only had to put, I don't know if they put half the money up or something like that. And with the guarantees that they're getting to the good players. So all the sponsors wanted those events. So the ones who didn't get it are obviously feeling a little bit hard done by. We will never see a year like this, I think, again in golf. I mean, it was surreal at times to see European Ryder Cup legends taking out injunctions in court to play on European events and then an animosity there, even at Wentworth in particular. How acrimonious, and I know you, you're not there week to week because you're on the seniors tour uh, quite a lot as well. How acrimonious behind the scenes did it become? For instance, if you bump into Phil Mickelson, a great friend of yours, has this become an issue for you and for him, for other players who would have previously been friends? What's that been like? I think I've texted those lads more or having longer text message conversations with the live guys than I did when they weren't live guys. <laughs> Look, you can't join. Leave them alone. <laughs> no, I think, and I would have heard the stories about some acrimony about players and that, but I think when you meet somebody face to face, there's never any of that. They're, you know, you've played with them for years and you compete against them. Some of them don't, you don't like in the first place, but you're your fellow competitors. So everyone I've met, yeah, I, I have a bit of a joke about it. You know, I, I kind of nearly always say, you know, can I actually shake your hand or, or am I going to catch something from you? Uh, you know, but on the, well, on the face of it, we're all friends and, and we get on well. And, and, and you know, some of the guys, I, I'll text them when they do well. 
you know, especially my team, my team from the Ryder Cup. Uh, and as I said, I, I talk to many of them. Uh, I, I get texts from them when I play well. So, you know, as far as I can see, they're individuals and I'm not going to change how I deal with the individuals, which again, you, you can separate individuals from the group. So even if, even if you're with live or anti-live or anything like that, that's a group decision. Individually, no, just treat them how I find them and how I found them all over life. So if they're, if they're nice to me and I found them nice, I'm going to still, still be nice to them. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, amazing headline, even just last week, McElroy saying, Greg Norman has to go. We need an adult in the room and then we can talk. So, like that was almost the first beginnings of a negotiation as to some kind of, uh, I don't yeah, know, cooperation it, it, is too strong a word, but, uh, what about Norman having to go first? I, like this guy just seems to be persona non grata completely in the States. Yeah. Look, they, they, I, th- I think a lot of people like we live, you know, if you don't like it, let them at it. And if, if, if it's not what everybody, you know, people would say, I don't like live. Well, let them fail on their own terms. Let them at it, see what happens. You know, there's no point in dragging them down. Just let them at it. Uh, yes, they've made their bed and they've moved on. So there is other things to that. Should they be entitled to play events? Should they be entitled to come back? All that sort of stuff. If you're on a, you know, if you left the football team, you can't really come back and go into the, lock, the dressing room with the, of your, do you think Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be welcomed back into the locker room at, at Man United going forward? That sort of way. So if you've left, you've left in many ways. I fully agree that I think they should be able to play in the majors. But let Liv go. See what happens. and uh, See where it goes. If, if you don't like the idea of it and you think it's not sustainable, well, let them have a go and see if they can make it work. Uh, in many ways, I think, it, and, and the one thing that hasn't been done, whether you like it or not, nobody's come up with a solution to what should be done. Like, you know, people can come out and say, well, this is how we start. And, and, and because of the antagonism probably from with Greg and Jay at the top, you know, I think, you know, people are saying, well, they need to let somebody else do this negotiation. There needs to be somebody on the middle ground. But I will agree with you that there is more calls now. You know, a year ago, it was more blanket you know, we don't want anything to do with live. Now there is more calls for, hey, you know what, maybe we've got to sit down and talk. And, and, and I kind of look at it, if I was looking at a solution, not that I'm giving a solution, or I am going to give a solution. I, I think it should be more like the Indian Premier League in cricket. Oh, I think the, the best idea, the best the tour can come out of this is, you know what, guys, we're going to, we're going to talk to you, we're going to give you and, and limit, you know, give them 10 weeks, not 15 weeks and say, right, you've got 10 weeks. This probably wouldn't be great for European tour. You've got 10 weeks over three months in the middle of the fall, something like that. You run your league. Anybody who wants to play those 10 leagues can go play those 10 leagues. Outside of that time, you come back and play for us, but you've got to play your 15 events or whatever, whatever it is requirement that they have. So if somebody wants to go and take the money and play extra events by playing 10, 10 events and have that league, uh, you know, let them at it and let them come back in and play normal golf the other time of the year. But it would be a lot of golf. You know, you're going to end up having to play, you know, 28, 29 events if you were to do something like that. But that's some sort of idea. Well, you know, the biggest the biggest thing I think from if Liv is a success, yeah, it's good for majors. 
because obviously you've got two leagues and the only time we see the best players is when they tee it up at a major. Yeah. If Le- Liv is a success, it doesn't, it's not, there's always been a second tour. So it doesn't do that much harm to the PGA Tour if Liv is a su- success. But if Liv have a lot of events, that's not great for the PGA Tour. So if the PGA Tour could sit down and say, hey, look, guys, seven events was a blip. They didn't bother the PGA Tour. If they had seven, maybe 10 or 12 events in a control period, you know, maybe the PGA Tour having that control might be a good thing. The problem for the PGA Tour is, you know, what if, if Liv turns into 22 events, you know, and, 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 and what if Liv, to get world rankings, has to have 120 players? Now we're starting to eat into into the tour and their their events. Well, look, we're not going to solve it here, and it's um, no. It's, <laughs> I don't want to ruin the whole conversation by talking about live. Let's talk some golf, Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie, you can you can set the chains in motion of the next uh, area you want to hit because Fiona and I will hog this otherwise. Oh well, I you know apart from your own success, which has been tremendous this year, and I've sent you a few text messages. Probably got fed up sending them to you eventually after winning. You know what I mean? So, but the guy that I was remarkable—I'd uh, like your opinion on it, Steve Aker. Like, where did he come out of? Well, I know where he came out of, but how has this game transformed for it to being so successful on the Champions Tour? Okay, a I, I, couple of things. Stephen is probably the same physical person at 50 as he was when he was 30. You know, he, he's that sort of build. He hasn't changed a bit. So he probably hits the golf ball every bit is the same now as he did then. And he was a decent player back in the day when he played in Europe. I know they keep going on about this 21 cuts, but this guy had his card on the Corn Ferry Tour at 48, 49 years of age. And, and to be honest, on the Corn Ferry, he's playing against guys in an environment that is completely unsuited. Like those courses on the Corn Ferry suit huge bombers the way they're set up, and he's not able to do that. So all of a sudden he comes to the PGA Tour. He's a good player. Now conditions suit him on the tour, on the on the senior tour. Uh, you know, everything about it. There's no he's actually reasonably he'd be, you know, long enough on the on the champions tour. Uh and he's gained some confidence from his performances and he's in that run. As, as I've always spoken, I always believe players get like two seasons where they get a run where things are falling into place and there's confidence. I see him as in that that sort of bracket. Will he sustain this in two, three years' time? I think he'd be a good player. I think he would be winning. But, you know, to keep up the form he's had, uh, you know, that that's a, a, another level for him. But he, he's just a, all round, he's a good player. He hits it well, hits it straight. Uh, you know, he's having a good run putting, but I think he's always been a decent putter. So uh, you can't beat a bit of confidence. You really can't. You just can't be in, in that environment. And, and even for myself, you're in a small pool. There's a certain, only like it's, it's 76 players, but there's only a certain few of them who can win a tournament. Uh, you know, you're kind of, you're no cuts. So again, you know, you're going to be in there on the weekend. You know, for me, I know I'm going to be in contention. I think probably one event this year was that did I go out on a Sunday Maybe two events did I go out on a Sunday where I didn't have a, a, an outside chance at least of winning. Uh, it is interesting. I didn't win one tournament from behind this year. Everyone was from the front, which is very odd. Like normally you'd, you'd have one Sunday where you go mad. Uh, 
so yeah, look, he, he's confident and, and buzzing. And when you get in that run, we've seen we, you, you know, every player has that period. You, you just, I, 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 going, I know going away from Steve, I've, for me, that period, obviously, back in the day, it was like, took about 10 years, 12 years to peak. Nowadays, the kids are peaking in their first couple of years. But I don't know if that's a good thing because you peak once, you never get back up there. Yeah. What's the advantage for you, Porik? I mean, there's the obvious things that we kind of can guess out. Is it length? Is it the greens? Is it like the setup of the courses? So what is well, it? That- I, I was playing very well coming into the Champions Tour. I was 120th in the world, but I was better than that. And I was yeah. I was thinking to myself, like my goal just before, it, even the start, like, I was hoping to get myself... I think I was a win away from top 50 in the world. So, like, I was playing good golf. I've gone to the Champions Tour. I'm the youngest. I have tremendous advantages. But, I, like, I'm already, like, from my career, I'm, I'm the class horse going out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the start, if I didn't win these tournaments, it was a failure. Uh, now, what's happened is, as I've got myself in contention, so if I play... I played. I think I played uh, Arnold Palmer last year. I finished twenty second, twenty something like that. Something. I think it was in the mid twenties. So you're probably six shots behind the lead, maybe eight shots behind the lead. If you're eight shots behind the lead, I guarantee you when you go home on a Sunday night and think about, it, you think, God, I've got to hit the golf ball better. I've got to swing the club better. I've got to hit the ball longer. When I go to the Champions Tour every week, virtually, I'm within a couple of shots. And I can tell you, when you're within a couple of shots of lead, you go home and you rue that bad bit of focus you had in that tee shot or that mistake you made there where you fell asleep or you chased it. It's always a mental error that you look at when you're two shots behind. It's always a physical thing when you're eight shots behind. And so I've just been focused wholeheartedly on my my mental game for the last three, four months. And it's just... I've just got better and better and better by doing it. And, and so much so, I shot the 27 under last couple of weeks ago. And uh, I heard Ronan telling some of my friends, he was saying, oh, I hit the ball really well. I had no idea. Just wasn't aware of it. I played. I had no idea. You couldn't tell me, you know, I couldn't tell you in particular what was good about the week, what was brilliant about the week. I was very much in the moment. And uh you know, it's probably taken me four or five months to get to that point. It's disappointing that the season is finished. Uh, but what's interesting for me is, does this carry over when I like when I go against the young guys? Yeah. So, because I, I felt certainly in your last couple of years of your 40s, you were very taken with your swing speed and your mechanics and keeping pace with the young books. And now you're in the habit of playing golf and competing. So, so by extension, everything you've said there, does that mean that the mad scientist, the wonderfully neurotic uh, voice in your head when it comes to your golf, has he been putting his box a little bit across this year? You, I, I, you, you're 100% right, I have to say. I, I will explain it to you, but essentially, you know, I, I played my best golf in 2009 and 2010 in terms of how I hit the golf ball stats-wise. Not, not obviously wins-wise, but stats-wise. My, my 18 months was clearly 2007, 2008, but I played better in nine and 10. I think 
I remember Adam Scott did an interview on the Wednesday of the US Open at Congressional. And he said to, in the interview, he said outright, everybody might as well go home. Patrick Harrington's winning this. Okay. I don't know. I couldn't say to you that I felt it, but maybe when I look back in hindsight, it was a shock what Rory did that week. He played a game that felt so alien to everybody else. He was the first long hitter to play like a long hitter. So up to then, all the long hitters, we had them, the world had to convince to play like short hitters. They'd hit irons off the tee. They'd, hit, they'd end up playing the course in the same place uh, everybody else played from. Whereas Rory was the first guy. I mean, you give, have to give credit to J.P. Fitz. Unbelievable credit to J.P. Fitzgerald. He, most caddies, when they get a great young player coming on tour, they try and make them play like a pro. Whereas J.P. says, driver's your best club, so keep hitting it. And Rory blew everybody away. And there's no doubt whether it was subconscious at the time, I would have gone very much into the mold of, wow, I've got to up my game to beat this guy. I've got to get better. Technically, I've got to hit the ball better. I've got to hit the ball further. Now, I've always had an obsession with hitting the ball further. Like, you know, from early 2000s, even in the 90s, I would have always tried to hit the ball further. I've always been at the gym and doing all that stuff. So that's not new. But there was definitely a feeling of, inadequacy that you know you got to get better so and this is the, again this is you can say this with Steve Alfie you can say this with me in the Champions Tour when you feel like you need more your best isn't good enough or you can't take any punches that's when you don't play so well when you feel like hey my game is good enough if I play my game these guys won't beat me and that's how Rory would have felt in 2011 that's how you know I would have even felt that myself in 2007, 2008. I wasn't looking over my shoulder. I was focused on me. But 2011 onwards, I would have been looking over my shoulder. How do I, how do I beat this guy? And, and the problem, Rory as well, I played with DJ quite a bit, a few times, a little bit from 2008 onwards. DJ played like a short hitter and he was unbelievable. When, when DJ and Bubba and guys like that, the long hitters saw Rory, they started doing what Rory did. So they all improved. So again, you just feel like, God, I need so much to beat this. I ended up with the, the yips in 2013. You know, and so I, I had... Peter doesn't believe you had the yeah, yips. Yeah, Peter doesn't believe you did have them. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I, yeah it, 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 like, you're right, Peter. If you go through my stroke game, I never really had a very good stroke game putting in my career. I was like, my whole career was about hitting my first shot on the green was going to be a short putt. So if I was hitting an iron in, I hit it inside eight feet. If I missed the green, I chipped it inside eight feet. And you gain nothing for doing that. As in, if if you had 18 putts inside eight feet, nine for birdie, nine for, for a par, you would be poor in strokes gain. If you had 18 putts from 25 feet, you will be very good because you'll hold one or two and get massive gains from strokes gained. So the, the, the greens and regulation guys gain a lot in strokes gained. The erratic guys like myself don't. So I've never been good in strokes gained. But in that period, and for seven, eight years, and you, you can't, the person looking in doesn't see it, but I know, I, I know how I, I it was, I could put it off a green from long range. Like I, I had no idea. Did you not just live, lose complete confidence in what you were trying to do rather than actual, like, yips to me would be a, an involuntary movement of your hands. 
Okay, yips is when you panic and the, you 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 hit. <clears throat> you can miss a putt because you miss a putt. Yips to me is when you miss a putt because you make a an absolute electric eel of nerves down your hands and the yeah. So yeah, I pure I definitely had the yips uh, and. You know, and, and as I said, it would, you know, the effort and work you have to put in. And, and as you said there, you say, well, I lost confidence. What I do. Every career you look at, once they have their peak, they're never as good because you're trying to live up to what you think you did in that period, which isn't the same thing. Your perception of how you played is you never hit a bad shot. But the reality is you, you kind of hit the same amount of shots, one or two more good shots. One or two more that didn't get bad breaks. One or two more that got good breaks. It's very little difference between good and bad, and it's it can be just perception. So, like, name a player, and I'll show you the eighteen months they played well for Nicholas Cosarts, uh, Jamie Donaldson. I'm letting the Ryder Cups, Luke Donald. Uh, you know, just you can't pick me a player that didn't have a period where they had two seasons, eighteen months, where their performances excelled. And when they come out of it, they're not as good. They're never as good afterwards because they're trying to live up to it. Uh, and and there, <laughs> I kind of I look at it like this, Peter. There's an intersection in golf where you're gaining experience and you've got enthusiasm and innocence. And at that point of intersection, you're great. But the minute you have that experience, but you kind of once the good days are over, you're kind of losing that innocence, and you you know it's just like. I can't tell you. I had a period on the golf course. You know, I, I probably burned out by 2016, but I had a period on the course. I was playing tournaments and I was working so hard on the course to shoot like 70, between 70 and 74 every day. 70, 74. I'm working. I was feeling so bad. I'd come in off the thing and I'd feel like I was in the way. I was feeling, and I, I, and I, I was getting bad draws. So I'm playing with guys who are rookies and, you know, I was feeling like I was in their way, and uh, yeah, but you feel like that. I know it. Yeah, you're grinding so hard. Everything is difficult. You know, you 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 can't explain. Like there was never anything that was easy for that period. And I'm a hard worker, so you know, uh, like I only got out of it. A couple of things got me out of it. One, I came back to Europe and played tournaments where Peter and Damien were around, and I realised. I could actually enjoy a tournament without the golf. The golf, I didn't need the golf to enjoy myself at a tournament. When you when you had other Irish guys and you had that outlet and we'd have a bit of crack in the evening times, it's amazing you can, and I do focus on that more now. If, if, if somebody said to me back in the day, we're going for dinner at eight o'clock, I'd be going, well, I've got to go to the gym. I've got this, I've got my entourage, I've got my physio. Whereas when I came back to Europe at that stage, I remember I came back one specific trip. I came back and I played Prague, Hamburg, Amsterdam, Crown Montana in there as well, and London, like five great venues. And I just had a great time. And I realized, you know what? As much as the, I was thinking, like, do I retire and become a coach? Do I do this? I kind of looked at it and said, I actually love professional golf and everything. That not I love professional golf. I love being out here, but I don't love everything. I don't so how do I get rid of this stuff I don't love doing focus on the stuff I do love doing so the difference is 
if somebody said we're going for dinner at half eight now, I go, oh yeah, I'll change my plans. I'm going out because I, I'll enjoy that thing. You know, I, you know, everybody on tour is sensible. I, like, I'm not, we're not, we're not going out partying and getting drunk or something like that. I'm not affecting my next day's performance, but I'm actually enjoying my life on tour, making an effort to enjoy my life on tour, which is helping me on the golf course. Porik, that pink cloud, that 18 month, 24 month pink cloud you're talking about, that, that peak where the two things converge. Yeah. Is that, is the slide that follows that? And and in fairness, like even, you think anecdotally, you, I'm, I, as you were talking, I'm going through the list of every great player of the last decade and more, and I'm going, yep, yeah, happened to him, 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 him. Um, but come here, is it inevitable? Like, I mean, you obviously, you have an enormous amount of experience and knowledge, Look, not just because you are the way you are, but also because you've had the career you've had. Like, is that inevitable? Or is there a way of kind of, maybe not maintaining the peak, but of, of arresting the slide? Well, one thing has changed in that period of you look, the peak is coming very early in careers. Yeah. When, I, when everybody up to my era, it was before, you know, they took a while to get to the peak. Uh, you know, eight, ten years. And if you, I'm talking to, to Sandy Lyles, the Woodsies, to Woodsies, everybody had, Jack Nicholas's career, he retired, he started in 61, he retired in 80. You know, 20 years. And, and, and you've got to remember, when a player is, re- is retiring from the game, he's had three or four years where it's been difficult. You might know it, as in, like Peter's there thinking, oh, you didn't have the yips. I can tell you, those three or four years were difficult. Now, can we find an outlier? I think there must be an outlier. Maybe Bernard Langer. I'm not really sure. I, I asked Bernard recently and he said he had two or three periods where he played well. Uh, so it's it's hard to know if there is an outlier out there. Uh, Tiger? All good players. Well, Tiger had four majors at one stage. Are you telling me that wasn't his peak? No. Well, I guess he... <laughs> No, okay, fair. Yeah, two thousand and one. I guess he never. Yeah, he'd four. Yeah, he'd four major, uh, but it's not necessarily play either. It's results. Yeah. So proof it, of the pudding. He, he won fourteen majors in four years, and at one stage he won four. So that must have been a peak. Yeah, he, yeah, but he but he maintained this like just ridiculous well, he, high he did, level for a long time. Well, he was he, he was number one in the world. And for that period, he was even better number one in the world. It's it's not we're not saying that Tiger Woods went from winning four majors to trying to keep his card. We're saying that he went from being the best in the world to being like sublime performance wise. And and we you can find all the players, Nick Price, gee whiz, it does and and even down anecdotally, look look how good Philip Walton was until he made the Ryder Cup. Yeah, once he made the Ryder Cup. You know, there was a downward slide because he he made his goal in life, and he, he won two, three times that year to make that Ryder Cup team. You know, it, it, the truth of the matter is, Philip would have had a would have played longer or better if you could have spread out those wins rather than playing so well in that particular year. Uh, golf is just no. I knew this. There, can we come back to something there for a second? Tease it out. Yeah. And come back to your point, Peter. Why are you so sure Potter didn't have the yips? Well, I would have played with him, and I, I just, I, you know, it, I suppose it, it, my my determination of the yips is probably different. Like I, I know I had struggles with my driver, 
right? And I used to hit it off the planet and I would have an involuntary movement from the top of the backswing. But did I think I had the yips with the driver? No, I just lost absolute and utter complete confidence in what I was trying to do. I'd have a clear picture of what I was trying to do before I took the club back, but somewhere from the very top of the back, uh, on the top of my downswing, I would go, oh my God. Now, I would have never described that as yips. Uh, and, and hence, that's what probably I would have said about Porik in relation to his putting. I would have just thought it was more of a confidence factor than, and you lose confidence in what you're trying to do. Like, Porik, you've been through so many different grips, putters, etc. over the years that I've known you. Um, you know, you had different styles and different ways of putting. You know, I, I remember when we were back playing amateur golf together, um, how well you putted with your Wilson 8802 putter. Um, uh, you know, so I, I just, I would have said it was a loss of confidence, but, uh, you know, if you- I think, Peter, we're arguing over semantics. Honestly. Exactly. Our, our, our two definitions are different. I yeah. would say to you, if I'm hitting a putt and when I'm hitting the putt, it goes off like an electric eel in my hand and the club face, and it's amazing that the person next to you can't see it. Yeah. And I'm on the Champions Tour. And I like everybody on the Champions Tour has something. Like everybody, there's there's guys out there, and when they get a two foot put, they either run up to hit it, or they stand back and hope somebody gives it to them. As in, <laughs> and to be, to be. Oh, by the way, the Champions Tour is brilliant for. I think it'd be a great place for young golfers to go and look because there's guys out there with putting yips and chipping yips and all sorts of things going on but they're managing the game and shooting decent scores, like good scores, 66s. And, and you, you go, wow, that is an impressive, because pretty much, I'm, I'm supposed to guys I'm looking at in the championship, they're there because they figured out something, you know, they've been, they have been great players and, and good players during their career. So even with this burden, they can figure out what to do and get it done. Uh, but there's no doubt my definition of the yips is you know, you're hitting a putt and this putt comes out with severe nerves, anxiousness, and and you know there's a, a movement of the club head that like it feels to you like the club has gone forty five degrees open to forty five degrees short or something you know real movement and you you, you can always tell somebody like that. They, they have an extraordinary posture finish after they hit the putt. They're, they're like standing there with the putter up in the air. This, But I do have one counter. And I've, I've used five putters probably in my career. Five putters. Monty uses five in a week. So I, I've never been somebody to change. I've used the same grip for 20 years on the thing. So it's it's not... The putter you want... Would, I, with with the um, weight in the middle of the shaft. In so a which one? In a dare, yeah, yeah. That was the the the, the bullet. Uh, I won with it, same putter head. And uh, what we found with that was that's like the the backstop putter. If you if 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 you get too much in the sweet spot, like literally, you hit it in the sweet spot and it goes like it's beautiful, but it just goes much more than a slightly tower heel hit. So as, as good a putter it is for the nice shots, it's a terrible putter for bad shots. That's what we found at the time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that got in the bag for a week or two. That was it. But the same head. Uh, I've I kind of always been stuck with, 
as I said, I've used a two ball pretty much all the time. I used a tailor made for a few years, and then at the start of my career, I would have used that uh, Scotty Cameron uh, for a while. So, yeah, not not a lot of. I, I'm a great believer in. It's never the. We allowed say it, it. It's it's what's that term? It's the. It's not the. Not the Arab, but the Indian. The Indian, yeah. You said it. I didn't. You don't know if that's politically correct these days. Uh, yeah, I've always looked to me. So Monty is a great example, and he, he, you know, he had a bad day in the greens. He'd take another putter out. If I had a bad day in the greens, I'd go and practice. Uh, just a different, different mindset. And and back in the day, I will agree. And this is what's changed with my uh, putting, Peter. Uh, so back in the day, I used to. I could lose one in every three weeks with a bit of a hook on my putts. With this is when I was like in my heyday, and it was right at the start of COVID. Like the week before COVID happened, I was playing Bay Hill and Stephen Sweeney, who's the coach of uh, Shane and, and now the the in putting coach. I was getting a lesson off him on the putting green because he works with Paul Hurry and my putting coach. So we were getting some some numbers for Paul, and uh, I steepened my putting stroke. So think of it like a golf swing. I was swinging up on my putter, causing a draw spin. I ended up steepening. So if you see me, I, I lean quite a bit now. And since I've done that, I've my putting got a lot better technically. And with time, it's now got a lot better mentally. Pora, can I... That's very interesting. Uh, so perhaps the listener mightn't be as interested, but myself and Joe both got new putters recently, right? Don't, don't bring us into this. I'm not just yeah. asking a question, right? And... I am getting pretty confident with it, but I was talking to a friend of ours, a guy you actually know, Paul Ferreter, and he has this kind of slightly dismissive attitude towards me getting the, like his is like, look, if you've got, if you practice your putting stroke, you can put with anything. You can put with a putter. You don't need a new putter. And that would be his attitude. But is that like, I mean, Monty, if Monty's not putting well, he picks out a new putter. Is there any merit in that argument or does getting is there a putter that suits your stroke if you know what i mean uh yes and yes okay so uh like all things psychology uh, and if you want to go changing putter is a psychology type thing uh everything works some of the time nothing works all the time so going from the mental side changing putter can be just a release fresh this is great so it, it definitely can work and has worked is it sustainable no it's not going to work all the time right we spend so, a lot of money on these putters we don't need to hear that right now okay <laughs> okay yes the honeymoon phase if you believe it it works that yeah, is the a, let's reality that because you're, you're crushing me can i ask you well, i know i've got to give you what i've got to give on, you okay, the, on, the physical side of it yeah Obviously, a putter can suit a player. So a style of putting is suited with a certain type of putter. So visually, I use certain types of putter, no lines. Uh, I kind of stuck with the two ball because, just because I know I, I, I line up better with it. That's it. So I, I, it doesn't matter. It's very hard to bring out new technology for me to change. It takes me a while. So in the end of the day, find a putter. And, and this may mean you need to get fitted. Find a putter that suits you. Find a putter that suits your alignment and your stroke, whatever it is. And once you have that, then there's no need to change. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, good we, enough for we, me. We got fitted. We both took out second mortgages, so we're... we're, we're <laughs> is that, is, yeah, I hear that's a thing now. Is there is putting coaches and that, yeah? Oh, we, oh, we, got yeah. Fitted. we both got fitted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go, yeah. All, track man, everything measured. Yeah. Here, one of the things I love about golf so much is when you hear things like Jordan Spieth plays around Augusta with... Uh, ben Crenshaw and and he gets he gets these perils and so I I want to ask you if um, other players in your time have given you stuff so so let that in your subconscious for a second but the first question to round off the pudding chat I always remember you saying you went and you spoke to Langer about the yips I would love if you could share with us what Langer told you about beating the yips <laughs> I uh, you know what at least half the population are going to love this. And the other half are going to really hate it. <laughs> okay. Langer's answer was, "It's you got to treat it like it's the will of God." Wow. Yeah, you're going to hit a putt, and if it's going to go in, it's going to go in, and if it's not, it's going to miss. So, like, whether you whether you want to go down that road or not, if you don't believe the greatest placebo in life is believing that it's predetermined by a greater power. There's no doubt about it. If you if you believe that God cares about how you play golf and you're deserving of winning a tournament and that you know He's actually watching you and not anything else, and then you play better. And uh, you know, if any person, if that's if you genuinely believe it, faith is the greatest thing you can ever have. Again, it can be fickle. Because why did it not work and things like that? So it it can it can absolutely be like I'm not comparing fate to a superstition, but it can be like a superstition when you believe it, it's great, and when it breaks, it's terrible. And uh, so Langer, we, did that uh, Langer's help? using. Did, did that answer help you, or did you walk away going, "Ah, oh, God"? Well, no, no pun intended. What am I meant to do with that? <laughs> Look, I, 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 yes, it does help. Okay. No doubt about it, and not because you, you've got to understand. I've worked my way through this. I've worked from Bob Rotella, which worked for me, through Steve Peters' The Chimp Paradox, which helped me understand what I was, what was happening, because I wanted to understand it. You know, some people don't need to understand it. All the way back now to Bob Rotella, and I do. I believe in my Bob Rotella stuff no end now because I understand it from The Chimp Paradox, and from that, you know. What I do when I'm putting is is I, I control what I'm doing and I'm not anywhere near into the outcome, which is what Bernard was basically saying. You, you, you know, it, it, it's a different way of saying it, but that's that's how that's his logic on it. That you know, you can miss it and that's it. You know, what what's the big deal? The Scotty Scheffler approach as well. Yeah, Scotty Sheffer, yeah, yeah. I, so now when, when I see Langer miss a putt, if he glances to the sky in future, we'll have a deeper understanding of what's uh, Yeah, it, it, if you, it, it, Bernard would be struggling with his chipping now. So that's that's the one to see if he can figure that one out. His button is, is Bernard's great. He strikes it right in the middle of the club. He plays great. If he gets the right golf course, because, you know, the courses are a little long for him. Yeah. Uh, if he gets the right course, he is so good. And, but there's a guy out there and he, he really is struggling with his chipping. So that's, and look, look, look at the scores he shot. He lapped the field there a few weeks ago, 17 on the par. And like the hybrids coming out from along the ground from 10 yards off the green type things. It's, it's, it's full on 
all hands to deck and trying to manage what's happening around the greens, which is is startling. But I'd be watching that space because if anybody can come through, if Bernard can. Wow. Peter, I thought from your body language you did want to come in there a moment ago. No, I was just fixing the phone there. Um, but <laughs> okay. it, it, it is, it must be very tiring though. The yips are... To have to go through that, Langer and, and, and everybody else. I remember it was very tiring with the driver, but you know, if, if you're still in contention and you, you have this problem, it must be very tiring to knowing that at any stage this can just you know come back at you yeah i i, I think you're you're 100 right it just wears you down uh not when you're in contention because you know somewhat something's working if you're in contention something must be going okay there might be something in the back of your mind it really wears you down when you're just in the middle of the pack nobody knows what you're going through you're struggling you're trying you're you know and you're putting more effort in, which is actually probably not the thing, as, as we kind of said. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is extraordinary well, the energy that you're putting in. If you go back and look at the tournament, that your first win on the Champions Tour, right? You had to, if I remember rightly, you 17 and 18, you had two longish putts that you had to have two two putts, wasn't it? You had to power yeah. the line. I remember that. So, geez, you didn't make that easy. But you left yourself like four and five footers, did you not? Yeah. Well, a couple of things on that. Uh, a, a great mentor of mine being J.P. McManus, and he, he he says it about people at times, or like sports people, golfers or whatever. But I know he, he's thinking of me when he says this statement. He says, some people have to win a tournament twice. So like the US Open, I had it won, threw it away, and then I had to come back and win it. I did not have a good week. That Sunday was a bad day for me with the putting. I was really, really struggling uh, on the putting. I hit a horrible putt that went into the hole on the 15th, the one that went in. So yeah. I got the one that went in for birdie was not a good putt. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've, I've mishit that. It's gone in. So I'm on 16 and I've left basically 16, 17, 18. I've left three long putts, which are the ones that I was really struggling on. And the beauty of that is, and this is the one good thing I have in my career, I was in such a fearful position with my back to the wall that I just, I did, I just did it there. There was no, I, there was no second guessing. I just had to hit the putt and that was it. There was no, I, I think when, when you get nervous is when there's other options. I had no option. I had to hit a putt and that was it. It did help that the three putts were downhill. There's no doubt about that. Anybody would tell you it's uphill, that's trouble. But that three-footer I had on the last grade, I have no idea how I got that in the hole. Like, <laughs> I was... It was but, probably even... And then you went that you had the yips. Yeah, our previous time, you had the yips. You were just thinking, get this thing in the I, hole. I, I, I think I was exactly what you said. I was afraid that I was going to hit the yip. I was afraid. But... Again, some of my best work has been done where I have that level of fear. Uh, I, I I was explaining this. So the worst shot I ever hit in my life is the tee shot off the 72nd hole in Carnoustie in 2007. And it all became because a reoccurring team. So I'm at my worst when I just made a birdie on the next hole, when it's an easy hole or second shots on par fives. Those are the three worst focus I have at the 
in my in my game. And what happens is eighteen tea at, at Carnoustie, I got in the tea and like I am I've driven so well that day, I've played so well, I'm just gonna bust it down the middle of the fairway. Mega confident. Get to the top of my backswing, I get a twinge of doubt, don't hit it left because it's out of bounds and water down the left. And I hit a huge reaction to that, like you and your your and I hit it way right. Mm. So a heart and, and I will say this. That tee shot was far worse in reality than it looked on TV. So what you think you saw, it was worse. Okay, that really was. It, it, I can't tell you how much harm that did to my golf, that tee shot. I couldn't believe. It took me years to figure out what happened. But what, actually what happened is normally I'd get in that tee shot and I'd have fear. I'd be going, don't hit it in the water left. Don't hit it out of bounds left. Don't hit it dead straight into the bunkers in front of you. Don't hit it right. Oh my God! What am I going to do? <laughs> where where can you hit it? <laughs> it, 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 it is that difficult, the tee shot. Yeah. So oh, I'm standing there, but you make a decision. So you 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 take all the danger in. You go, oh God, what if I do that? What if I do this? Am I going to hit tree wood? No. Am I going to hit hybrid? No. Am I going to hit driver? Okay, I'm hitting driver. I'm committed to hitting driver. Right. I'm going to feel this is oh God, don't do this. I'm going. To, I'm very nervous. I'm going to feel terrible. Then you go through your routine, uh, which is sacrosanct, which you would at that stage. One, two, go. At the top of my backswing, if I get a small twinge of doubt, the same twinge of doubt I got when I was confident, the difference is I was expecting massive twinge of doubt. I was expecting massive fear. So my reaction to that would not be that big. Mm. So fear for me has always been a tremendous way of playing golf. So I just, I tighten up my focus. I expect the worst and it's never as bad. So for somebody, you know, everybody said, you know, if you're making a speech, you know, visualize it. Well, when you visualize, you visualize things going wrong. When you go and make the speech, when things go wrong, you go, ah, not so bad. I don't feel as bad. Whereas the cocky, confident person, when something is throws him out, that's the person or him or her out. That's the person that blows up. And, and it, it's, I can't believe I'm feeling nervous at this stage. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's overconfidence. And I still get it today. Easy shots, nothing shots, not necessarily easy, but real nothing holes, you know, a big wide open hole. Second shots and power fives, I often think I should try and make eagles where I'm always, because I have a good short game, I'm always a bit lax trying to play safe, you know, trying to hit it to the fat side or miss on the right place. Uh, you know, maybe if I if I chased the second shot, the power five more, and uh, after I make a birdie, I can be cocky too. So those are areas that I, I my whole life, I, I'm, I'm stuck with I have to it's very hard but I have to remember hang on a second this shot is actually quite important so interesting can I bring Easy. you back to that question I referenced uh, pearls of wisdom like I and I'm thinking my favourite photo in golf my favourite photo in golf is Nick Faldo on his knees helping Seve with his swing this this wonderful fraternity so so you in that in that space over the years well, certainly I, I, I've got to this phase now that if I'm asked, I will help. So if another player comes to me, I've had managers come to me and I say, no, if the player comes to me, I'll do it. So if a player comes to me, I will help. Um, no, I, I, I did help a, a young player. I've helped a couple of players. I remember helping one player and like the next day he's getting help off somebody else. And I said, God, that was a waste of my time. Uh, and I remember helping another young player and a couple of months later, he was hitting full wedges off the fringe of a chipping green. And I, I like, I had a words with him. And when I turned my back, he hit another one. And like, I, I was so disgusted that I actually helped that person. 
as he turned out to be a horrible person. Uh, so you have to be, you know, I, but I will help. I will go out of my way to help if I'm asked. Uh, and, and I do with, with, sometimes with the Irish players I'll intervene. Uh, outside of that, have I got help? I certainly watch a lot. Uh, Bernard, I asked, uh, did I ask anybody, the Irish guys over the years, you know, back in the day, we all helped each other. Uh, but that could have been a very casual help. Uh, myself and Shane have helped each other in terms of we're standing there hitting shots and we'll, we'll discuss it at times. You know, it, it, there's still, when you're both trying to be competitive, there's still an element of you can't help him and he can't help you because of the, you know, where does that set your relationship in terms of hierarchy? But in terms of, uh, you know, certainly myself and Shane gained a lot with their chipping contests. Just watching each other hit the shots, what's possible, and I think that's that's that can be that can be the help you get. As regards the golf course, I've tried that, I, and I did play the practice rounds with people. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I, I'm t- I'm too contrarian to necessarily think every, somebody else is right. I, I, I sometimes <laughs> need to do it myself. Uh, Jack, Jack, just stay out of it, Jack. All right, I yeah. know how to play this place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. I, you know, Jack. Now you would sit down and talk with. Yes, the, you know, at that level, there's no doubt. Uh, I think on the Champions Tour, we're a little bit friendlier. That we we'll sit and discuss our our, our 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 fears and our. You know, you'd never have done that on the regular tour. You'd would never you, have would, shown a. Ask you that, yeah. Would you and Phil not have talked? Uh, oh yeah, about... me, yeah. Me and Phil would talk, all right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that's because I would talk, not, not necessarily, I would talk to guys I was competitive against back in the day who were my rivals now because they went through the same experiences. It's, you know, it's like talking to somebody of your age back in the day. They, they understood how, how hard Ireland was in the 80s, that sort of way, you know. You, you know, yeah. So I would talk to guys like that and, and, and be open with them if they want an open conversation. Uh, I remember having, like, at the PGA in, uh, in I played with Jason Day at the PGA in uh, the one that myself and Shane did well, Key Island. And we sat down and we had a good long lunch because he was struggling with, you know, he'd gone through his peak and he was struggling with it. And I, I was trying to explain to him and, and he was coming back to me a bit about my game at the time. So we, we had a good, a good hour's conversation there. So it, it I don't, bar the Langer one, I've never instigated it, except for when I get in some, try and help somebody, of course I'm going to, you know, that's me, isn't it, to go and stick my nose into things. I'm amazed that over the years, especially in later years as he's become more friendly, that you haven't at any stage said, here, Tiger, let's talk off. Yeah, this is, the the friendly Tiger is interesting, you know, because, you know, back in the day, Tiger came in that range and it was business. It was business, business, business. You know, nobody was allowed into his little inner circle. Uh, and now, like, Tiger comes in the range and he, he'd be working his way down the range, having a chat. I think, again, Tiger has, has, has had to find a new way of playing golf. He can't, he, he couldn't keep up the pace he was at. Uh, you know, so he's changed, he's friendlier. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I do talk to Tiger, I feel bad in the sense that I often talk, try to talk to Tiger about anything but golf. Yeah. 
you know, you know, anything but golf. You know, what's happened? What, you know, trying maybe like everybody else, trying to get a sense for who he is. You know, it, it's harder to talk about U.S. sport because I wouldn't have the knowledge necessarily that the U.S. guys would have. Uh, but you know, I, I any anything like that. What you know, lifestyle, whatever. Yeah, you try. You tr- you just feel for Tiger in the sense of everybody's asking them the same question. So you're trying to ask them a question that nobody else has asked. Mm. I, I, I remember doing that with Rory when he came out. Um, I remember playing in Abu Dhabi and walking down one of the fairways and he looked at me like I had, like I was trying to inquire about his life. I, I too was like the Uporic, just trying to inquire, you know, have a, have a conversation that wasn't based on his golf game. Um and it is very difficult when you when you have somebody like that. You have to you have to try and think outside the box and say, look, you know, what's life off the golf course like? Yeah. Did you get anything out of him, Peter? A little bit, a little bit. No. Uh, you, I, I've got to say now, Rory's really good. Every time you have a conversation, he's excellent away from golf. He is a he is a golf nerd, by the way. He, mm. he knows his golf and he's into his golf and and he, he I would have golf conversations with him but he's actually excellent company away from golf subjects so he, you know he's a good person to be around and, and have a conversation with that's nothing to do with golf but he is a golf nerd he knows everything that's going in, in golf mm. I feel like Tiger's a golf nerd to be honest I would have thought in a, in a perverse way the last thing he wants to talk about is his life or non-golf stuff like he's a he's a real student of the game as well i would have thought safe space let's talk about golf especially during you know some of the more precarious years yeah but you know everybody must be doing that you you know you want to talk about you see the latest movie you know banal stuff i'm not i'm going to say that we're not we're not talking here i I, i'm not chatting with tiger to to make him a better person or a worse person or competitive person i'm just having a chat that you know it's just chilling you know, yeah. not really wanting to to get too deep into anything. I I don't want him to expose me <laughs> and tell me something about the golf game that you know makes me feel weak or something like that. So there is a competitive edge. That's it, it. As I said, it's not as bad as you get older, but there's no doubt there's a competitive edge at a younger age that you don't necessarily. People who talk about golf on the golf course are unpopular because they could say something that does get you in your head. So we don't want to, you, you only talk about golf with your, really your close friends because, you know, somebody could turn around and like in a golfing tent, the easiest way to put somebody off on the golf course, if they're putting well, or say they're hitting their irons well, this would be a good one. If, you know, they're hitting the ball well, they're hitting their irons very well. You know, sixth hole, you turn around and say, God, that wind is really swirling today. It's good. <laughs> and, you know, next time they're standing over their club, they're not going to be as confident. Is the wind going to pop up here? Is the wind going to come from the right? Is You know, you, you, you've got in their head, if somebody's putting well, you say, God, the greens are very quick today, aren't they? Much quicker than the putting green. And of course, if they're putting well, they've never had a talk. They're dialed in. Yeah. Next put, they're hitting, they're going, wow, are hey. the greens quicker than I thought? Yeah. These are great tips for match play. I have to say, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You you won't be popular. You, the probably the the players who are unpopular are the ones who start talking about a simple one. The hole is crowned. You know, as in the, you know, if you haven't seen that, you don't want to know that the hole might spit the ball left or right. So any I mean, little, uh, sorry, go ahead. 
I was going to say, have any of you seen that Shell's Wonderful World of Golf? I think they're playing in some place in Mexico or Hawaii, but it's Trevino v. Nicholas. And Trevino never shuts up. He talks the whole time. And even though it's done for TV and it's not really that competitive around, you can see that Nicholas is like, oh my God, I wish this guy would. And the feeling is, is that Trevino used that talking exactly the way you just described, is to, is to just get under his opponent's skin the whole time. But he's just chatting about life and, and, you know, and everything. But it's like he's trying to disrupt the other guy's rhythm. And Nicholas, okay. you can see, is like really kind of, I want to keep things quiet. Well, uh, obviously, there's the famous quote with, with Lee Trevino and playing with Jack, and Jack's come along and says, right, uh, you know, Lee, we're not going to do a lot of talking today. And Lee says, it's okay, you don't have to do any talking, you just have to listen. <laughs> now, I would take that judgment along the lines of, if the player is a hustler, so if he's a guy who plays money games, he's learned to play the game by, by, by hustling and playing money games, he knows everything he is saying. He knows what every word comes out of his mouth means to the other player. Because if you're a hustler, everything that you're saying during the day, aren't you playing great today? Or, you know, everything that's coming out is, is, is some form of hustle. So I'd be very wary of that player. Some other players who are naive, I give them the benefit of the doubt. It uh, doesn't mean you might, you might have to say something to them. I, I, I had a player who... I'm not going to name the player because no point but on the first hole I've hit my put eight feet by Charlie Hoffman's put it up stone dead and he's let, let his put short and he walked to the next green the next tee and as he breached the crowd there was a good crowd there he shouted to his caddy I can't believe how much slower these greens are than the putting green now Charlie Hoffman's dived in he's put it stone dead I think the greens are fast so he's calling me an idiot that's why he, that's what I hear all because he wants to make an excuse. So 10 holes later, he's putting from 40 feet on my line from 20 feet. He's put it and left it 10 feet short. So I kind of run in to have a look at the line. And he shouted again. Now you can say these things to your caddy if you want. You don't have to shout it out. He shouted to his caddy who's on the, maybe holding the flag. If I got that to the hole, it would have gone off the green. Now I have a 20-footer on that line and I have not seen any slope by the hole. There is no way I can convince myself to get that ball to the... I, I hit the most tentative putt because as much as I've looked and said, oh, there is no slope there, it isn't going to run off the green. I'm still standing over my putt with a little thought in my head, maybe there's something I haven't seen. I end up hitting a weak putt because he got in my head. So that, like, I, I had to have words with him over that. I said, look, that's not on. You can't be... You know, you can say it quietly... You know, you can do what you like in private with your caddy. You just can't turn around and start declaring. And you become very unpopular. That player has got into a couple of, like, won't say fisticuffs, but, you know, face-to-face -face on the golf course. Oh, wow. and, and Oh, yeah, yeah. He's had a number of incidents over the years. And, and he's, it's not that he's a bad lad. He just talks. I had one guy back in the day who I felt was a hustler, and he would say things like the gusting winds and things like that. And you can't argue with them because the minute you engage it, it's only making the elephant in the room bigger. Yeah. So I used to say to him, he used to, he, I, I played with him a lot around this time and he'd say something. And eventually when he'd say something, I'd say, yeah, no, the pizza was lovely last night. I ham and pineapple I had. And he, he'd look at me. But again, <laughs> I haven't engaged him at all. I've 
and and now the fact that I haven't given him anything back, he actually ends up not really talking to me anymore. About, you know, not saying things. And so, best way for both was is not try and ignore it. Just start a completely stupid random conversation, and he'll eventually get the message. You're not listening. You you've been unbelievable your time. Uh, we'll just pick this up again sometime in six months or a year. And, and, and <laughs> that was honestly, it's been so so this fascinating. Been brilliant. It's been yeah. amazing. It really is. I'm, I'm sure all the listeners are going to love this. So I think um, for the sake of everybody, we're going to wrap up the podcast here. We should all go. We've places to be. We've been on for a long time. So uh, Fiona, can we, thank can, you to you. Can we just make one? Yeah. Sorry, one mention because we haven't mentioned it at all. Can we just mention Leona? And oh, she's yeah. been doing brilliant, hasn't she? I mean. Uh, that was unbelievable. I mean, I know she didn't have a great Sunday, but still, unbelievable. <laughs> if anyone missed this at home, uh, Leona Maguire, 1,500 to Lydia Coe, 1,700 at the LPGA Tour Championship. Two million was the top prize. Before you start feeling too sorry for Leona, she still made off with over half a million dollars. Five fifty On-course earnings to 1.8 million, 10th in the order of merit. So, um, look, Portrait, you would have seen her for a long, long time. She has properly established herself over the last 18 months. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and, you know, it's been a really nice, steady progression, which is a great sign. Hasn't jumped up there. She might, you know, she, she hasn't hit her 18 months. You know, she's gradually getting going and, and just getting strength to strength. I see Sunday's round as a very positive. Mm. You know, she's shot a great score on Saturday. The amount of people who can, nobody, it just doesn't fit. You could play the same the next day and it feels terrible. That's the problem with shooting a good score. So she's come out the next day and she's dug deep and hit several great chip shots. She never, ever, uh, you, you know, barred the shot in the water, which uncharacteristic. But outside of that, she, she kept herself right in there. If Lydia made a mistake, Leona was in the right place yeah. to win that tournament. And, and, and it wasn't her best day physically, but she still was so close to winning it just like wouldn't it take it very much? Even the Asians, Lydia hit a terrible drive right, but it was you know got the fairway. And she's made an easy par, and there's no drama. I'm just saying, she kept herself in the right place that she could have won that tournament, and she dug deep. She made some great pitches and puts around the turn. Uh, you know, hit some good shots. A couple of shots coming down the stretch that came were online that you know could have been close. They did you know that's golf, but she really. She's getting comfortable. And I've talked to one or two of the other girls, you know, they're aware of her. You know, Amazing. they know they know Leon is there. And and those few up and downs and things could be the catalyst that, you know, they might fear in, in the situation coming down the stretch. So yeah, it's it's very very, very positive time for golf uh, at the moment in Ireland. Is Dermot back on the bag full time now? Yeah, I I, I was Talking with Dermot, uh, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure if he's full time. He seems to, you know, it's 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 a very tough life mm. uh, on the ladies' tour. You know, he, he's he's out there without his usual, you know, social structure and friends. Uh, he was enjoying his life on on the tour, and now he's out there. And I, I know it, it's just different. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a much tougher for somebody who, you know, the. The ladies' tour at that stage, it does look like the place for the young guy to be out there, you know, the enthusiastic growing. Derma is unbelievably good caddy. You know, there's few caddies, uh, you know, there's no doubt if I didn't have Ronan, I'd be looking at, at Dermo as, as, as oh, wow. a, he's a really, really good caddy. He's been very 
he's been around the mill, but he knows it. he's just excellent. And Leona knows that. You know, she she's played great with him on the bag, and he's just he's no nonsense. You know, which I probably I, I, I'm not being judgmental about the ladies, but you know, sometimes they can be too dependent on their caddies and that. And Derma is no nonsense, and and Leona will actually become a better player by Derma making her a little bit more independent over time. Uh, you know, you've got to be able to do your own stuff. She can't rely on having having Dermo there forever. She can't rely on having a, even a great caddy there all the time. You've got to be self reliant, and I think Dermo will help help her transition if he does himself uh, retire or, or you know, it's a tough it's a tough. And I think there's a lot of travel and it's just not as lucrative in terms of they don't stay in as nice a hotels. Dermo doesn't want to slum it anymore. He wants to, you know, <laughs> I, I, I hear this story, like he's moved out, you know, he'd be rooming with somebody and he's had to move out and says, look, I'm not doing this. I'm not, yeah. I'm not staying yeah. in the, in the cheap hotel. And look, I, I appreciate that. Look, the caddy's life is always hard, but like, I mean, Two million quid, two million dollars for the winner, five fifty for the this is the biggest prize fund in the history of women's golf. To what extent? I mean, the Saudis are I mean, saving women's golf is probably a bit strong, but they are going to transform women's golf or lift it or elevate it so that surely that everybody can benefit from it. Everybody in golf is benefiting at the moment. This yeah. seems to be like I thought, I lived through the best times in golf. This seems to be an unbelievable time. Uh, you know, everybody else has had to up their game. Uh, money's come into the game. The guys who haven't gone to live are benefiting from increased sponsorship, as in the sponsors might have left some of those players. They have to find new homes with players. So, yeah, it, 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 you know, the women's golf, I think that's gaining more from the Saudi. Obviously, that money has helped. But in the end of the day, more more to do with the quality, yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, and they do they do provide a good product. If you go out there and watch it, it's it, it is interesting. They're really damn good. I had Leona up here uh, prior to the Open, just she quizzing me on a few different chipping shots, and but I had her here to watch what she was doing. You know, it was it was you know it wasn't a question. Hey, you know, I, I'm here to show you how to hit a bump and run. I wanted to see what she was doing, how she goes about it. Particularly wanted to see how she put it and, and, and things like that. So it, it's a great, you know, if there's a ladies tournament, go watch it. You, you'll be shocked. Yeah. Yeah. You, not, you shouldn't be shocked, but you, you, you'd be very impressed. Uh, and, and Leona in particular, she like, she hits a lot of quality shots. It, look, it would be lovely if she was a long hitter but she's not physically that big. So maybe that's, you know, in the end of the day, maybe that's not for her. And she certainly shouldn't chase it because chasing it never, like it's one in a blue moon that gets better by adding, uh, by chasing speed. Uh, so, you know, she just has to trust what she has and she has a lot of guts, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, those puts she holds around that turn to keep herself in it, just solid, very, very impressive. Yeah. Chasing speed never did you any harm, Park. Uh, but I, two things to that, Peter, and this is why you. This is what killed you. You couldn't play golf from the rough because all no. your life you were a fairways and greens man. I've always played from the rough. It doesn't bother me, you know. And, and I see this time and time again. You can look at players like I scream at Henrik Stenson. Please hit your driver a bit more, Henrik. You know you can't rely. But Henrik doesn't like being in the rough. 
And if you're going to hit more drivers, if you're going to hit it harder, you're going to hit the rough a few more times. So it's a question, can you handle being out of position? I've always, that's the way I've played golf. Uh, but you didn't like that. And, and it, it really was, you know, and I would have encouraged you to chase length at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no doubt. And I would have talked to you about it. But in hindsight, you know, maybe you were the the the, the, the learning curve, but it's not for everybody. Yeah, yeah. If I could go back, I'd do it. I'd chase it. Yeah, but you chase it before. There's yeah, no absolutely. Harm in cha- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, 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 it's when you're set, this is your style of play on tour. That's what you are. You, as we know, nobody ever changes their golfing personality. We've never seen somebody come on tour past 22, 23 years of age. It's too late. You're stuck with what you have. Refine it. Make it as good as you can. Trust in it. And... and it's like how many times have we seen somebody who draws the ball and they want to hit a fade eventually or they fade the ball and they want to hit a draw because there was one pin at one stage that they felt they couldn't get. Like, the, the, it's nonsensical because, as we know, it's everybody has a problem with one pin at one stage and thinks we're not good enough. But it's sticking to what you know and doing it as well as you can is, is at that stage, as a kid, the best piece of advice I could give, and I do not have any promotion anything to do with this but parents are out there thinking I'm going to buy my son or daughter a new driver for Christmas they're going to buy them a new putter for Christmas rubbish it ain't going to help them buy them a PRGR PRGR monitor it's $230 and it's so good for that price point you give a kid a monitor they'll figure out how to get speed you don't even have to tell them how just give them the monitor so instead of buying a driver, and I'm sorry to the manufacturers for four or five hundred dollars for Christmas, PRGR, it's a, it's a two, it's got, it's actually got a dual monitor in it, so it reads the ball and the thing, and it's just two hundred thirty dollars. Unbelievable how the and remember, it mightn't be perfect, but every monitor once you know it, you know when it throws out a bad number. So simple as that. If you give that to a kid, they'll figure it out. And and I, I two last things from my perspective on this podcast. I know we're different. <laughs> if you, if you want your kid to play golf, do not bring them to a place that you're stressed, because they'll know it and they won't enjoy it. Bring them somewhere where you're not stressed, where they'll enjoy it. Enjoying the game is the first thing. If they enjoy it, they'll learn to be good at. It. They won't. People think make them good at, it, and then they'll enjoy it. It doesn't work that way. Let them enjoy the environment. And even when they're enjoying it, make them go home. So 45 minutes into it, if they're loving it, say, we've got to go. Because they'll want to come back then. Don't wait till they're tired. Don't wait till they're bored. Bring them home quickly. Uh, take a minute to enjoy it. And then your kids will love golf. And if you're a 10-year-old, if you've got a 10-year-old kid, they'll play it for over 90 years if you're 10, if they love it. Yeah. it's got nothing to do with them they'll figure a way of being good you don't even need to give them a lesson every kid will figure it out but a monitor if you're a competitive kid give them a monitor they'll use that they'll compete against their friends and they'll get better and from my perspective the last thing I would say on the day is what's interesting in golf for me now is does this make me a better player when I go back to the young guys and do I have another 18 months in me can I be that outlier that I think there is going to be outliers? I, I, I'm, my whole thing is trying to be, do something that nobody else 
has done or can do. So I'm trying to be that outlier. We say it all the time behind your back that you are going to be the one who will do something a bit mad in his <laughs> No, Horik Harrington will play till he's 90. No, he'll be I mean, the longest player on the Champions Tour ever. And he'll be, he'll be the oldest uh, major winner. I, I, I do think it. I really do. Well, believe it or not, the happiest man in the world. Doing I think it. if I win, if I win any tournament at this stage, I'm the oldest person to win on the European Tour or the PGA Tour or a major. I think I've got to that age. I, I, I don't think I shouldn't be Trump. You know, I shouldn't be loving that fact. But I, at this stage, I'm old enough. I'm older than Phil was. Uh, so I think at this stage, if I do manage to go out and get a win anywhere, uh, it would be the the oldest. So that's something to that's something to a goal. And, and I'll tell you something else. Back nine on a Sunday, they see your name there. You'll terrify them because they know how crazy you are. <laughs> well, this is it. I, have, I wasn't crazy. The last three wins were from the front. That's true. All four wins, but three, the last three were very comfortable and very, very little drama or stress. Now, I've always been, like, all my wins have had drama. You know, I've been doing something crazy and stupid and, you know, there'd be all, people would be, their heads would be in their hands. What's he at? The last couple of wins have been and without the energy either. So mm. pretty damn good for me. I, I'd, I'd love to be in this place going forward. I think the last one, the score was record equally in what Nicholas in 91 yeah. or something. So yeah, I didn't even know it. Yeah. Um, you are, um, look, you know this already. You're just as good as any sports person in the world ever to listen to. So we're just so grateful to have you hold court like this for the last <laughs> hour and a half. It was, it genuinely was amazing. The, the yeah, Portrait County PIP 2023 campaign is up and running. <laughs> it's off to an incredible start. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's, yeah, I, I have to look at the metrics, but I think a lot of it's based off your TV time. Well, I, I suppose on Sunday, then Tiger didn't have a lot of that. So I, I look, I don't. Tiger's forty first. Everybody listening, tweet Podrick how much you enjoyed the interview. Let's get this yeah. ball rolling. <laughs> Millions at stake here. It has. Uh, yeah, you're right. It has started for next year. Okay. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fionn, yeah. Peter, thank you, Podrick. Uh, genuinely amazing. That was just insane. Thank, but thank you so much. Cheers, thank lads. you, guys.